You're listening to The Nerve, an English at WIT podcast. At the end of every semester, we record a Books on the Nightstand episode where staff in other departments tell us what they're reading. Due to the closure of the Institute, we haven't been able to run this episode in the usual way, so we've decided to improvise. In this very special version, I'm joined in the sitting room rather than the studio with my husband, Rob O'Connor from the Department of Computing and Mathematics and my children, Sophie, Elise, Wendy and Stella from the Department of General Chaos. And they are going to tell you all about the books that they are that are keep they are keeping them even entertained during the COVID-19 pandemic. So welcome everyone and thank you for joining me completely of your own free will and not because we promised you that you wouldn't have to do any schoolwork today and that you could get a treat in the shop. Um, So I think we've decided, well the children have decided that we're going to kick off in order of age which means uh, oldest to youngest and that means I have to start. Um, So I'm going to kick off by filling you in very briefly on what I'm reading at the moment. So I'm reading two books. I'm reading one very, very slowly. And the other one then is the book that I read when I'm tired and I'm going to bed. So the this, the one that I'm reading slowly is Jacob's Room by Virginia Woolf, um, a book that I've I've never even tried to read before and that I probably should have read already. Um, it's a modernist novel and it's written in about 1922. And it's an interesting book. I'm Um, It's one that I feel I need to read during the daytime when I'm alert, actually, because there's so much going on in it and there's lots of different characters and it's quite cinematic in the scope. I was describing it to Rob um, the other day and I said that it's like watching a movie where you follow one character for a few minutes and then you follow another and you're not quite sure yet because I'm only in the early stages of it, who it's really about. Obviously, it's going to be about Jacob, but it's um, not it's not. I suppose, your traditional standard um, realist novel by any stretch of the imagination. And I know Virginia Woolf was was trying to get away from that by the time she wrote this. Um, But I'm not going to really talk about that one today because um, of my my immediate audience. Um, Instead, I'm going to talk about the other book that I'm reading when I go to bed at night and when I want to be able to digest something fairly um, understandable that I don't have to concentrate too much on, but that will keep me going. And we had Donald Ryan in for English Day just before WIT shut down, literally the Thursday before the shutdown. We were so lucky that we got English Day in under the wire. And I was finishing one of his books at the time and I'd read all the other books of his, but I hadn't read his collection of short stories, A Slanting of the Sun, um, which I am reading at the moment and which I'm really, really enjoying because Um, It's filled with stories that are a bit like a distillation of his other work. You know, the stories can be funny at at times and then they can be tragic and heartbreaking at other times. Um, So just to talk a little bit about a couple of the stories really briefly. um, One is called The Squad, which I thought was a really interesting story about this family man in a small town who's had um, who has this kind of dark secret, very dark secret that he shares with his closest friends, but actually they can never talk about the dark secret. It's so, so dark and so terrible that they don't they can't even share um, the burden of it between them. Um, I don't want to give anything away because obviously, as you can tell, there's a bit of a twist in the tale. But um, that's that's a really interesting one. Another one that really caught my um, imagination was a story called Physiotherapy, 
which is about an elderly couple who are undergoing physio together for injuries that they sustained during a stroke that they each had um, within six months of one another. So you kind of think at the start of the story that it's going to be a nice story about this kind of couple who've had this long and perhaps happy life together. Although knowing Donald Ryan's work, you kind of suspect there must be something in the background that is amiss. But um, it's also about a terrible betrayal of the wife's, actually, that lands quite suddenly on you in the middle of the story and it changes your impressions a lot. Um, And then one of my very favourites out of the collection so far, and I'm not finished it just yet, but there's a, a story called Long Puck which is about a young priest um, sent to work in Syria and he makes friends with a local young man called Halim and they bond over, you know, these long pucks that they play with the hurley and the schlitter that the the priest brought with them to this to this strange place, but very friendly place. Um, And a militia starts, you know, starts to form in the area and they start to impose very strict Sharia laws on the locality and Halim's behaviour starts to change. He becomes more indoctrinated into this new modus of survival, really, for him. And what I love about it is just the immediacy and the directness of the writing. So I just thought I would read a really short bit and then I'm I'm going to finish up because my children are already bored and they're bored of me all the time at the moment. So uh, I better I better stop. So this is um, a, a section from Long Puck uh, from Donald Ryan's collection, A Slanting of the Sun. Tell me words said in, in Tipperary, Halim would say. Words of the people you would buy chips who would buy chips from my cousin. Well, you, sir, how are you keeping? You're sure I'm only dragon. Soft day, thank God. Be God, tis. Garlic, chip and cheese, two battered sausage there, please. I'd eat stones, I'm so hungry. No bother, boy, give me one minute. And on and on I'd go, filling Halim's head with paddy whackery. He'd ring his cousin before our pucks the odd evening from a brick of a mobile. Hey you, sir, you're some stones. This is Paddy here from over beyond. Will you do me up a takeaway until I collect it? I'd ate the arse off a low-flying duck, so I would. I'll have... And he'd laugh and laugh until he could hardly breathe and his cousin's roars of laughter and faraway tip would crackle through the ancient Nokia and Halim would declare that one day he'd see this place, Tipperary, and hear these words spoken in truth and see these mighty hurling men. He would shake Brendan Cummins by the hand, the man with the longest puck in all of Tipperary. All of Ireland? Yes. The world? Maybe. Probably. And I love that. I, t- I think that's when Donald Ryan really excels, when he's uh, kind of speaking in the tongue of the average person on the street. I think he's absolutely fantastic. There was a great bit there where uh, Wendy was who seven was doing her very best to stop laughing when you said I'd ate the arse off a low flying rasher was that it a low flying duck a low flying duck (laughs) she was she was doing her best to to not buck because she was buckling well I think it's because she came across the same word in one of the Harry Potter books recently she got a great (laughs) giggle out of it um so we'll move on to the person who's next in age in our family who is Rob so Rob uh what are you reading at the moment well, I'm reading a couple of books at the moment. I'm not going to. I'm going to briefly mention uh, Shadow Play, which you bought me for Christmas, and I am slowly but surely getting through. It's uh, Joseph O'Connor's latest novel. It follows. Sorry, are we okay? It, you, Mom didn't get you at least it. 
Oh, sorry. Oh, right. Okay. Right. Okay. <laughs> sorry. Elise got it for me, not Mammy. Sorry. Apologies, Elise. I, I, I'm terribly sorry for not getting it wrong. Um, <clears throat> the Yeah. So Shadow Play, which is by Joseph O'Connor, and it kind of retells, uh, it's a kind of a, a historical fiction book about Bram Stoker's time from moving from being a clerk in Dublin to managing a theatre in London and coming up with Dracula. And it's also tied in with his uh, relationship with uh, his wife and his uh, leading man actor and and variety of other different things. I haven't finished it yet, but uh, I'm slowly but surely getting through it. And uh, I'm I'm waiting for you to finish it so that it, then I can add that to the pile of books <laughs> yeah. that I look at and say I'm going to read you. Yeah. And then I never seem to get around to it. But yeah, yeah. I've, I, I mean, I've enjoyed Joseph O'Connor stuff in the past, so I do enjoy. I am enjoying it. Uh, it's just I'm very slow at at reading some books as opposed to others uh, I'm also reading uh, and I, I've kind of gone back into science fiction a lot in the last while I used to read science fiction a lot when I was younger and I don't get to read as m- much anymore but in the last couple of years I've, I found myself venturing back into the world of science fiction because we're in the world of science fiction now yeah well maybe <laughs> our, like a couple of years ago I read The Stand by uh, Stephen King uh, which is about a pl- pandemic that wipes out most of the world's population and there's only a select few survivors left to rebuild the world which maybe uh, would be a fitting one for the times that we're in but anyway that's a that's a great big tome of a book and if you're looking for something to fill the time that's that's excellent uh, I'm reading Isaac Asimov's um, I've never read anything by Isaac Asimov before he's one of the big kind of uh, science fiction authors I've never read anything by him for some reason but uh, I am now reading uh, The End of Eternity which is very very good I'm quite enjoying that on my Kindle but the book I'm going to talk about now is uh, a book I reread uh, recently enough I just finished it up there a couple of weeks ago which is Frank Herbert's Dune Frank Herbert's Dune this is not like I'm not rediscovering any sort of a a a gem that is hidden or anything like that Dune is one of the best selling science fiction books of all time it was written uh, it was published in 1965 for the very first time and it won heaps of awards it won the Hugo Award it won the the, uh, Nebula Award these uh, science fiction book awards Uh, many people might know it from the David Lynch 1980s movie which starred Kyle MacLachlan and Sting and a whole lot of other people uh, that's I quite like it but it's kind of weird it's it, it's very very strange film uh, I don't think the girls will have seen it and I don't think you'll be any interest in it there is a new film coming out in the next while um, back I read this when I was a teenager for the first time and I became kind of semi-obsessed with Dune and the world of Dune. And there's, a, there's six books in the series altogether. I read all of them uh, and I really got into them. And it, is it, can I ask, is the book, like, is the is the film, fa- I haven't seen the film, but is the film faithful to the book? Yes and no. In the, that there's an awful lot of liberty. It changes an awful lot of the story. It, well, sorry, it changes some of the story. It changes, certain emphasis is placed on things in the film that, there's more emphasis off in the book. I mean, it's a typical yeah. kind of, I mean, the book is, it's quite big and it's quite sprawling, you know. Um, So I don't kind of take a, we maybe talk about the film at the end because there's a new film on the way. Yes, which, which is Timothy Chalamet. Yeah. Uh, so the the Dune is set, uh, set in the future. It's set around about the year 10,000. Uh, so it's quite far in the future and, and humans and humanity have spread all across the universe and they're living on lots and lots and lots of different planets. Uh, at some stage between kind of now and and 
10,000, there was a great war between humans and machines, between think, humans and thinking machines. And uh, then there was what, what they called the Butlerian Jihad, where all machines and thinking machines, uh, computers, were outlawed and they're banned entirely. And that's, it, was, it was a plot device that uh, Frank Herbert introduced because he didn't really know an awful lot, a lot about technology. And he was more interested in philosophy and, and ecology. So he kind of wanted to focus on those things rather than getting bogged down in the kind of the, the science of science fiction. So he basically said, yeah, look, computers are gone. There are spaceships, not really going to get into too much detail as to how they work. <laughs> but and it's actually it's one of the best things he did because it means that the book hasn't aged. Uh, it also allowed him to to introduce these concepts where humans have I won't say have evolved, but humans have 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 developed. They've developed their mental powers. They've also developed a lot of their physical skills to allow for the fact that they don't have an awful lot of machines to do work for them. So, for example, there's the navigators who are the, the, the people who fly the uh, spaceships. And uh, what they, they've, they've de- developed quite significantly their, their mental abilities to perform the calculations that are involved in flying ships. There's also the mentats. The mentats are kind of like human computers that uh, are there to process large amounts of data and uh, provide logical advice to some of the characters in the book, namely the kind of the nobility. There's also actually it's an interesting thing. There's there's a kind of a feudal system in the future. There's the emperor and then there's all the great houses, the great houses of the lands, Rad. Um, and they're essentially just kind of wealthy nobility, uh, families of nobility. Um, there's other groups as well. There's the Bene Gesserit Sisterhood who are kind of like ninja witches um, and they're carrying out a breeding program over thousands of years to create the, what they call is the Quidzat Haderach who is a a superhuman and not a superhuman in a kind of a Superman sense or anything like that in the like DC comic Superman more in a kind of a Nietzsche Superman where it's somebody who will have developed their mental abilities beyond what anyone can do now um, and they've been working away on that uh, the story follows Paul Atreides who is the son of Duke Leto Atreides who uh, and Lady Jessica who is one of the Bene Gesserit uh, he's been given the fiefdom of Arrakis, which is the desert planet Dune. Um, it's it's probably the most important planet in the universe because it is the only place in which the spice melange is found. And the spice melange is a kind of an all-purpose plot device. Uh, it's a narcotic, but it's also something that helps to develop uh, human mental abilities. It also makes you live longer, so people who take it uh, live longer. Um, uh, it's a kind of a super substance. Uh, the Harkonnen family used to look after the planet of Arrakis, but uh, the emperor has given it now to the Atreides family. The Harkonnens are not happy about it, and a variety of different things occur. Can I just say? I know I can, I can see an arse in front of me. <laughs> things are happening during this description. But yeah, thanks, uh, Rob. I, what I have is I'm going to play a, a short clip. It's a very short clip of Frank Herbert, who is the author. Uh, this is from an interview that he um, he an interview uh, that was done on NBC in 1982, uh, and he was just talking a little bit about what was in his mind as he was going through uh, as he was going through the writing process of Dune, and uh, particularly about how he wrote his main character. Um, about de- humans who are developing, humans who are changing, 
um, and maybe characters who aren't so likable? Well, uh, I think it, it, it makes people uncomfortable, the idea that a human being can become something other than a human being, especially something mindless out of the depths. Uh, I'm very heavily imbued with Jungian psychology, so I think that we do have a sense of, of uh, the mindless animal in the depths of but, all of but us. But science fiction, when people say science fiction, they automatically go, ah. Yeah, but I write science fiction for people who don't read science fiction. And people who read science fiction but, also. But you were just telling me that you were you were going after that general readership. Oh yes. But you were frankly a little bit surprised when it went over as big as it did. Why? Well, I didn't. It, you, you don't wait for that. You go on to do another story, and then when it happened, it happened big, and I was very surprised by how big it it came along. You've said science fiction writing can have a missionary impact. Could you elaborate on that for me a little bit? Well, I think it first has to be entertaining, <clears throat> because if it's not entertaining, nobody's going to read it. Uh, I put a, a pot of message in there with a mess of pottage. <laughs> <laughs> what, is, what is the message? What is the statement well, that, that you're attempting to make here? Uh, don't trust leaders to always be right. <clears throat> uh, I, I worked to create a, a leader in this book who would be really an attractive, charismatic person for all the good reasons, not for any bad reasons. Mm -hmm. uh, then power comes to him, he makes decisions. Some of his decisions made for millions of people, millions upon millions of people, don't work out too well. So that's uh, Frank Herbert talking in 1982 about the book. Uh, what I love about the book, it's a story of philosophy, politics, uh, adventure, ecology, uh, religion and humanity uh, there's no aliens in it and that's an important thing there's no aliens in this it's just humans and their creations going through there are big giant sandworms on this planet of arrakis um who again are, serve to be a plot device as well as um a, a figure who uh, upon which you can project uh, it's it's a very believable world. He spent a massive amount of time uh, developing the ecology of Arrakis and the way that the spice is made and 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 everything involved in that. Um, there's as I said, there's six novels in total. They get even more bizarre as they go on. Did you uh, read them all? I read them all. Yeah, back in the day. Oh, you said that. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I was no, distracted. No, you're okay. You're, <laughs> it's, it's 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 a tough one to do. Um, yeah, it, it, they're excellent. I've read the first one again and I started reading the second one. Uh, and I stopped and I've moved on to something else and I, th I probably will go back to it but I think maybe th they are quite dense there's a lot in them and some really good ideas I mean there's a lot of stuff I just still don't understand the, the, the language can be quite tough because he he kind of thought about the way humans might be in the future so it's not all English it's there's an awful lot of Arabic in there he was clearly heavily influenced by Middle Eastern um, uh, Middle Eastern culture there's an awful lot of Arabic in there uh, so uh, you have that anyway so that's uh, that's Dune there is a new film on the way uh, Dennis Villeneuve who uh, directed Blade Runner 2049 yes we had very differing opinions yeah, very on different that opinions of that movie um, he's a very celebrated uh, filmmaker he has a version coming out it's supposed to be coming out in December of 2020 now whether it does or mm. not I suppose depends on things uh, they say it's the unfilmable novel there was a great documentary a few years ago Jodorowsky's Dune uh, which we, I think you saw it as well, didn't you? The one about the, um, he's a Chilean filmmaker, Alejandro uh, Jodorowsky. And in the 1970s, he tried to make a movie of Dune. And it was, oh, yeah. it was mad. He had all sorts of people lined up. I mean, he had David Carradine, but he had um, 
he had Orson Welles lined up to play the Baron Harcon and he had um, Salvador Dali lined up to play a part as well he had all sorts of stuff uh, so anyway Dune it's a great read I do recommend it um, but there you go so now we move on to Sophia we're going to move on sorry now uh, yeah we've got a, a wriggler um, in the corner here so we'll move on to Sophie Sophie so you are you are the next oldest in the family. Tell us what you're reading. What are you reading? Well, I've read Ratburger. Um, it's about a girl and something happens to her pet. And one she, Is it a hamster she has? Yeah, it's a hamster. And one night she wakes up and she sees something wriggling under her covers. <gasps> and it's a rat. And she lets the rat sleep in her bed with her and oh. that becomes her new pet. <laughs> um. That sounds lovely. And it, is that the end? No. Um, <laughs> there's loads of... Well, there's loads of characters and they all are very different. She has... Does she have nice parents? Um, she, her, she has a dad, but her mother died... And she has a stepmother who, since she was a toddler, only eats prawn cocktail crisps. <laughs> and she has had loads of husbands and one of them died in a prawn cocktail accident. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so you like David Williams' books, don't you? Yeah. I like the way he sometimes plays with the words a little bit because sometimes he has a number beside them. The word and then it he a at the footnote, bo- yeah, yeah. footnote, yeah. And then at the bottom it says what he means. Right, so he kind of a little bit like Roald Dahl makes yeah. up some words. That's always fun. And um, tell us, you have a little excerpt, don't you, from yeah. from the book? Would you be able to read that for us? Yeah. So, do we need to know anything before we hear this bit? Is there anything any background that we need to know, or is this this is at the start of the book? Yeah. The only thing is that her hamster died what's her name zoe zoe okay go on what's more zoe could smell the sickly sweet aroma of prong prong cocktail crisps her stepmother loved them in fact she boasted that from when she was a toddler she had refused to eat anything else and spat any other food back in her mother's face (laughs) zoe thought the crisps stank not even of prawns Of course the woman's breath absolutely reeked of them too. Even now, as she stood in the doorway, Zoe's stepmother was holding a package of noxious snack with one hand and feeding her face with the other while she surveyed the scene. As always, she was wearing a long grubby white t-shirt, black leggings and a furry pink slippers. The bits of skin that were exposed were covered in tattoos. Her arms bore the names out of her ex-husbands, all since crossed out. Mick, Steve, Dave, Hamish, Jeff, Aimer, Dick, Steve P and Leroy. (laughs) That's a fine selection of husbands. She was a great woman, actually, despite the fact that she had all those prawn cocktail crisps for having so much energy to be married to so many men. That's so we have a little clip, I think. Rob has a little clip as well um, of David Williams. We might just play that out. Mm, so this is just a clip of David Williams talking about the way he approaches books and uh, how he writes. This is from an interview he did with Chris Evans on his BBC Two breakfast show. 
Um, I just tried to think back to when I was young and what kind of things I might want to read. And also, um, the children in my books, I've written a few, The Billionaire Boys was the last one to come out. I just kind of think, uh, you know, what was I like at, at 12? What was my understanding of the world? And I wanted it to reflect children's real experiences as much as possible. Because a lot of children's books immediately empower children, you know, they're spies or wizards or whatever. But I thought, no, it was never like that when I was 10 or 12. I was sort of stuck in a situation. Um, and, and I wanted to reflect that in the books I wrote. Brilliant. So would you, you'd recommend this book, Sophie, would you? Do you like it? Yeah, I'd recommend this book to people who like funny things. And there's also some kind of disgusting parts. Yeah, you it. love the disgusting, squelchy, yeah, grotesque bits, don't you? Yeah. They're so much fun too. And they're, like, I think David Williams has taken a lot of things from Roald Dahl, really, hasn't he? Yeah. Um, all of that side of things. Because I remember, I remember when we were reading The Twits, do you remember that? Oh, yeah. And how much fun we had reading that book. Yeah. That was a great, that was a great book. And so you'd give it, you'd probably, you were, you wanted to know if I'd ask you what your rating would be for this yeah. book. What would your rating be? Probably, if it was out of five, probably like, Four and a half because mm. I feel like um, in it sometimes I didn't really understand what was happening. Oh, you were a little bit. OK, yeah. so if it was more straightforward, maybe. But that's good. That's a very good rating. Four and a half out of five is excellent. Brilliant. Thanks, Sophie. That's great. That's a good recommendation if anybody's sitting at home and they haven't read Ratburger yet, isn't it? Um. So, Elise, you're next up because you're next in line in terms of age. Sophie is 10. Elise is eight. So... Elise, I think we have a little bit of music to introduce your favourite book. I love that song. We actually listen to that song quite a lot, don't we? <laughs> um, so I loved these books myself when I was a little girl. Um, so Elise, tell us a little bit about your favourite book. It's The Famous Five, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. OK, and so why you, you've read, how many of the Famous Five books have you read? Um, nearly 12. 12 books that is so many books and what is it about the the books that you like i like the way that they kind of in every book they go off on an adventure yeah it's really exciting and where do they go on adventures at least they usually go to um kirin island kirin island or like they're great for finding smugglers I've loads. Of, I just have great memories of them finding smugglers at every hand's turn. Um, and who is your favorite character? George. George. Why do you like George? I like George because um, nobody tells her what to do, or if <laughs> somebody um, 
says something to her that she doesn't really like, um, then she gets really angry. And <laughs> she doesn't take it, does she? She doesn't take it lying down. I used to love George yeah. too. And I think the reason why I liked George was because she's a woman of action, isn't she? Yeah. And she does just what everybody else could do because... We have to remember when these books were written. Do you remember we were looking at the date when these books were written? When were they written? Do you remember? It was like the 1940s, I think, that this collection that you have in front of you was written. Wasn't it? Yeah, it is, I think. Yeah, you're pointing it out to me here. Yeah, 1940s. So that's a very long time ago. And we were talking about the way in which uh, the roles of girls have changed since then, haven't they? What do you think? Because there's a big difference, isn't there, between George and Anne in the book? Yeah. And what's the difference, do you think? Uh, well, they're both girls mm -hmm. and George's real name is Georgina. And she doesn't really like being a girl because she doesn't really like wearing all the dresses and she didn't like her hair and she cut her hair and she doesn't wear dresses she wears shorts and a t-shirt or, or... She wants to be allowed to do all the things that boys can do. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So I think that's understandable. And that's why I used to like George. Because I didn't see why girls couldn't do all the things that boys could do either. Um, and it's great because now they, we believe that they can do everything that boys can do. Can't, can't, don't we? Um, so yeah, it's, it, those are good books. And so you, how many more books are there for you to read? Um, read how many did you say you read? Twelve? Twelve. Okay, and how many more are there? I don't, I don't know how many more I have to read, but there's 21 <laughs> of them. Okay. Wow. We'll have to do a bit of maths now. 21 minus 12. Nine. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Um, so we, when you're finished, are you going to be really sad when you're finished all the famous five books? Yeah. What are you going to read next? I don't know. Maybe you might read. I was thinking that something that you could read is maybe what Wendy's reading now, because we're going to ask Wendy about her books now. Um, because Wendy is probably the biggest reader in our house. Wendy is the next oldest. She's seven and she just is eating books at the moment. We cannot keep her in books and we're finding it hard. We have to we're going to be the book centre is best um, Best customers, I think, by the end of this COVID thing. Um, so tell us what you've just finished reading, Wendy, before you got the book that you're going to be talking about today. What did you just finish? I have just finished reading the Harry Potter series for the second time. For the second time. <laughs> yeah. So she's seven years of age and she's just finished reading Harry Potter, all of them for the second time. And... She also started another series of books and Wendy loves a good series that she can get stuck into it, stuck into, don't you? So tell us a little bit about this other series. What is the series called? The series is called The Land of Stories. And who wrote it? Chris Colfer. Chris Colfer, yeah. So this is another big, huge series, isn't it? A lot, very popular. So can you tell us a little bit about what The Land of Stories is about, Wendy? It's about these two twins and they find their way into this um, fairy tale world. And How do they find their way in? They jump through a book and they, and they find themselves in this fairy tale world and the book they jumped into is called The Land of Stories. Yeah. And so they meet lots of fairy tale characters in the book, don't they? Like Rapunzel and 
all of those kinds. I, I remember reading a bit with you where we were looking at Rapunzel and but there are other ones. Who else do they meet? Um, on the way they meet the big bad wolf pack. <laughs> and the witch that tried to eat Hansel and Gretel, they thought that Alex and Connor were Hansel and Gretel. Oh, gosh. So they I got mistaken when, for them. I bet Wendy would like to jump into the books. Would you like to jump into the books yourself? Yeah. Yeah, it would be great. Um, and so you, you picked out a little section as well from the story that you're going to read, Wendy. So where is this in the book? Is this at the start? This is kind of at the start. This is kind of like when the adventure all begins. Okay, so read your little bit there. The humming started again. They looked back at the land of stories on the sink. To Alex's relief and to Connor's horror, it was glowing. Connor jumped back against the wall as if he were um presence of an explosive. The land of stories, but Connor yelled, it glows, it hums. I told you, said Alex. Connor's mouth was open so wide it was almost touching his chest. It's radioactive, he said. I doubt it, Alex told him. She reached for the book. Don't touch it, Alex, Connor shouted. Relax, Alex, Connor, Alex reassured him. I've been dealing with it all week. Using one finger, she flicked open the book and the entire restroom was illuminated. All the illustrations, illustrations and writing had disappeared and the pages seemed to be made out of pure light. Wow. <laughs> I, it sounds like something we'd all love to read, yeah. doesn't it? It sounds so exciting. Um, oh, it's brilliant. And and so there's a, an interesting relationship between Alex and Connor, isn't there, Wendy? Yeah. Because they're very different. They're twins. But what are they like in school? Um, Connor's always taking naps on his desk. Oh. Oh, no. <laughs> and Alex is... Well, she's kind of like the best student in the class, always pushing her hand up for every question and all that. Yeah. So even that is is good, isn't it? Because there's great fun between them because he makes her be a little bit like uh, less, I suppose, rule bound. And then she makes him she puts manners on him a little bit, too, sometimes, mm. doesn't she? Uh, so that's brilliant. I think that's a fantastic. Well, you'd, you'd recommend that book, wouldn't you? Yeah. And like you're after reading book number five in the series in the last 24 hours and we've only just got it from the book centre. And so you're on the very last book in this series as well. And I don't know what we're going to do after that. What do you think we we might start into Artemis Fowl or something like that? Something like that, maybe. Something like that. Brilliant. (laughs) And so we move on to the youngest member of the family now. But the youngest member, but the one with the biggest burps. Isn't that right, Stella? (laughs) Isn't that right? So, Stella, can you tell us the name of your book? What's the name of your book? Diddle That Dumbed. The Diddle That Dumbed. And this is such a funny book. We read this book, didn't we, in the book centre? And we just, it was it was actually more expensive than a couple of the other books that we were looking at. But we had to buy it because we laughed our heads off at it, didn't mm-hmm. we? What's it about? Uh, a, um, a little musical no, that didn't do what it was told. Yeah, it didn't do what it was told because there's a, a fella um, called... Flinty Bow Diddle. Flinty Bow Diddle. And he is writing a tune, isn't he? 
Yeah. The very first, will we read the first? Because it tells us actually what it's about. Flinty Bow. Was writing a tune for his fiddle, that's right. And it was going very, very well. And this is how it went. So what we can see on the page that the people at home can't see is that there's lots of little musical notes and they're all doing what they're told. They're all saying diddle, diddle, diddle. But there is one fella and he's upside down and he's saying dumb, dumb. And what does Flinty say? He says stop, shouted Flinty. Halfway through the tune. Who did a dumb? Who did a dumb? You we meant to do a diddle, not a dumb. That's right. And isn't that what happens then? So he keeps trying to make the diddle, um, or to make the dumb go diddle and the dumb won't go diddle. And then when the, when he tries to, he, he said the dumb says, well, why doesn't everybody go dumb? And then we'll all be doing the same. So he makes everybody go dumb. And what, what happens? The note he, goes. He, he dumb. The, all the notes go dumb, but he goes diddle, doesn't he? Because when he's meant to go dumb, he goes diddle. And when he's meant to go diddle, he goes dumb. And then at the end, they all go into the toilet and they try to do a different tune. And what tune do they do? Plop. <laughs> so the one musical note goes plop. And it's a very, very funny, funny story, isn't it? Wait, I Oh, yeah, that's the other page. Yeah, that's the other page. So that was really good. And what other kind of books do you like? What are your other favourite books? The sleepy one. The sleepy ones? The one that we read at bedtime? Is it? No, the sleepy one. That is when they're all down to sleep and the monkey shouts down. Five more minutes, please. Because <laughs> that sounds like you saying five more minutes. Yeah. That's a fantastic range of books that we've given to everybody lots of lots of choice I think and if you've got children at home maybe there's a few suggestions there because the best thing that you can do at the moment I think is read isn't that right mm -hmm. so thanks to everybody there's lots of bribery going on here folks but I'm really really happy that you decided to do it and so that we can actually have our full complement of episodes for this semester for the nerve so it's brilliant. Thanks a million. And thanks, Rob, because we definitely wouldn't be doing it without you. And I hope everybody at home is staying really safe and well. And I'm hoping, too, that we'll see you all again very soon in September. And best of luck with the exams and with all the assessments. Thanks a lot. <laughs>